I'm going to share maybe a little bit more towards, um, maybe a little bit more of a Mother's Day sermon, I don't know, um, but it definitely applies to every one of us. Um, one of the things that I think about when I think of um, a mom, when I've observed Naomi as a mom, is, and I think you ladies can probably all relate, that there's always someone demanding your attention. Always something or someone that wants your attention. And I came across this little story that's kind of humorous. I thought it, it fit pretty well. It said, one summer evening during a violent thunderstorm, a mother was tucking her small boy into bed. She was about to turn off the light when he asked with a tremor in his voice, Mommy, will you sleep with me tonight? The mother smiled and gave him a reassuring hug. I can't, dear, she said. I have to sleep in Daddy's room. A long silence was broken at last by his shaky little voice, the big sissy. So if it's not your kids clamoring for your attention, it's your husband or someone else clamoring for your attention, right? Um, no, mothers are such a gift to each one of us. Obviously, we all have a mom. Um, but I, I'm, I'm a continuously, continually amazed um, as I observe my own mom, as I observe Naomi, and each, each of you as moms and as ladies in how you give. And Brent touched on it a little bit with how it just, it's automatic. You, you always see the needs of other people first, and you give so much. Um, and I'm, I'm sure there are times when you as a mom feel like, or you wonder if you're actually making a difference. Um, I hope you can figure out that you're not. I just, I love, I love researching, like, interesting facts about things like Mother's Day, etc. One of the things that I discovered when I researched a little bit in all the years of parenting, I figured out that Neoma has probably changed over 30,000 pampers. Get a load of that. That's a lot. Um, that's figuring an average of 6,000 per child. So anyway, and you men, if you figure out, if you do the math with that, that comes out to like, probably like $6,000 just on Pampers. Anyway, so that's, it's interesting, but there's something about Mother's and Mother's Day that tends to touch a really soft spot in people's hearts. It just, it, it does. It, and, and it shows, it's evident even in, throughout our culture in that on Mother's Day, there are more calls made, there are more calls made on Mother's Day than any other day in the year. Um... It's the busiest day for restaurants in the, in the year's time. And I, I couldn't believe this statistic when I read it, um, so I, I checked it again, and you can double-check it if you need to. But in 2018, there were approximately $23 billion spent on Mother's Day. $23 billion. And this year, they're estimating it's going to be like around $25 billion. Think of what that does to an economy. Mother's Day is a big, big deal. So there, I, just, I say that because I want you to realize or think about there's something about the heart of a mother that touches a soft spot in every person. It just, it just does. There's something that God created in a mom or in a woman that can't be, cannot be replaced by anything else or by anyone else. 
I think God has created, created women to have, I don't know, I hate to even use the word intuition, but maybe a sensitivity. They're sensitive to what's going on in other people's hearts and even sensitive to what the whole, how the Holy Spirit is leading in your life. And I'd say to us as men, if your wife ever has a feeling about something, about if you're working on make a decision, making a decision, and your wife has some gut feeling about it, I think you better listen. And even if they can't put a words to it or maybe describe what's going on or tell you why they feel it, I think it's worthwhile listening because God has placed something really special in the, li- in the, um, the hearts of our, our women, the women in our lives. But sometimes the expectations and the pressures that a mother feels can take a load or, take a, or feel like a really, really heavy load and you can wonder if you're actually ever making a difference. But I want to suggest to you, and I will look at the example of a mother in Scripture, I want to suggest to you that perhaps the greatest difference that you will ever make in the lives of your children and the lives of the children in your sphere of influence may never be noticed, at least until your children are adults, or it may never even be noticed then, but you will make, you do make an eternal difference in the lives of your children every day. And so the the example I want to look at today is in Matthew 15, and I invite you to turn to Matthew 15. It's not a story about mothering, but it happens to be a mother who comes to Jesus, and there's something in this mother that Jesus really, really takes notice of And I think Jesus is really amazed by something that this mother brings to the table. And I'm drawn to this story because what I see coming out of her life is what I see coming out of so many mothers' lives. It's it's a natural outflow, but the things that apply, the things that I want to point out to us today apply to each one of us, but I think it's something that, at least in my observation, that our mothers have done and do so very well. And I, I'm struck with... Um, well, let, let me read the text, and then, then I have a question for you. Matthew chapter 15, I'm going to start reading in verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David, my daughter is severely depressed by a demon, but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right for the children's bread to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. So what is great faith? Do you have great faith? That's a question or something that I've really, really struggled with and wrestled with. This is one of two occasions where Jesus says about someone, you have great faith. 
The first one, if you were reading through, um, through the Gospels that we're going through as a church, you read the other account in Matthew chapter 8 as well. But in both cases, it comes from people you would not expect. It comes from the unexpected places. But Jesus is struck by the desire or the, the heart and the faith of this woman. And he says that her faith is great. Now the dialogue that happens in this, in this account seems kind of unique. It kind of it gives you a, a little bit of pause and gives you a lot of questions. But I just want to go through, and I have three different things that I want us to think about when it comes to great faith that I see this mother is being, gives an example of and perhaps what ways that we can grow in our faith and what great faith perhaps would look like. So the setting is, Jesus has withdrawn to the regions, it says, of Tyre and Sidon. That is up like in modern-day Lib- uh, Libya or in Syria, or Lebanon in Syria, I think. He's drawn away from, his, most of Jesus' ministry was centered around the Sea of Galilee, the Capernaum, Nazareth, all those places. And this is 25 to 30 miles north of there. So Jesus has, it says, uses the word withdrawn. Now someone withdraws from a place, what are they trying to do? They're trying to get away from it. And there's a number of reasons Jesus does that. And throughout Matthew, you see Jesus withdrawing a number of different times. But often it's a time to spend with his disciples. It's a time for him, for him to withdraw from the pressures of the crowd. He was facing a lot of heat from the Jewish leaders. And he withdraws himself and with his disciples to a, a Gentile region, a pagan place. And the irony, I think, is in this, that this woman comes to him. We find a Gentile woman pleading for mercy and the Jewish leaders are rejecting this same Messiah, their Messiah. In Mark's account of this same, same instance, it says that Jesus actually entered into a house and didn't want anyone to know. So he entered into a house somewhere in this region and didn't want anyone to know. So I would suggest to us today that one of the, one of the that great faith, and let me just say it this, great faith seeks out Jesus and it breaks down barriers. So I don't know how this woman happened to find Jesus, but you read every time when Jesus goes to a place, a crowd shows up. It's like he couldn't get away from him no matter where he went. But somehow this woman had heard of Jesus, and in her desperation, he, in his, even in his desperation, her desperation, him hiding in a house, she found him. I don't know, did she go from house to house, knocking on doors until she find, found him? But... I think great faith seeks out Jesus even when he appears to be hidden. And I think we can all probably relate to times in our lives when it feels like Jesus is hidden. And faith continues to seek and seek and seek until we find Jesus. So she finds Jesus in this place. But then I want you to think about the barriers that she has to break through to actually get to Jesus. There's four different barriers that, that you can think of. And one is, um, first of all, she's a woman. So in the culture, she was probably not, didn't have the equal value as men, maybe. Um, but there's a, there's a cultural thing there that probably put her in a, in a bad situation or in a tougher situation with the fact that she was a woman. 
but that would not keep her away. She was a Gentile. So a Jews, the Jews and the Gentiles would not, obviously they, they were in a Gentile region, so she was a pagan. She was not a Jew. Thirdly, she was a Canaanite. All the way back in Deuteronomy, when the children of Israel went into the promised land, they were to drive out the Canaanites. The Canaanites were the enemies of Israel from that time on. And then she was also, her daughter was demon-possessed. She was probably a religious outcast. So all these things, it seems like the odds were just stacked against her from, from the very beginning. And yet, you see her breaking through racial, cultural, religious, whatever barriers were in front of her, she pushed through to get to Jesus. Great faith pushes through all those barriers. And I want you to think about the basis with which she comes to Jesus. I think this is probably the key to what great faith is. She comes to Jesus on the basis, not on the basis of merit. She had no merit to come to Jesus. Think about this. How often did Jesus tell his disciples or the Jewish people, his own people, oh, you have little faith. So think about that and in our own lives, how often would Jesus tell me, oh, you have little faith? Could it be that we think that we have some kind of merit that we have worthy to come to Jesus? She has no merit, and she knows it. She comes to Jesus on the basis of mercy. That is her only basis in her coming to Jesus. And I think that is a sign of tremendous faith. But faith not only seeks out Jesus when he is hidden and breaks through barriers, great faith intercedes and is persistent. And I'm just amazed at how this woman continues to press into Jesus in spite of what is thrown at her. But first you see that she is there. She's not there for herself. This is something that mothers do an amazing, amazing job at interceding for the lives of their children. My mom was a prayer warrior and is a prayer warrior for me. You can do that. You're doing that for your children even now. They might not even see that, but it's making a huge, huge impact. And I want you to notice in verse, um, when she comes, the first words out of her mouth to Jesus are, have mercy on me. She's coming on behalf of her daughter, but she's pleading for mercy for her. Is there anyone who experiences or takes, feels the pain of another the way a mother does for her child? She feels the pain of her child and what her child is going through as if it was her own. But interceding for someone is when we come to Jesus on behalf of someone who can't or won't come to Jesus themselves. So I see her interceding for the life of her daughter, and then I see her being persistent. And this is the part that probably challenges me the most as I observe her life. You would think that in her cry for mercy to Jesus, in verse 22, that it would draw some kind of reaction from Jesus. What was Jesus' response in verse 23? It says that, but he did not answer her a word. She was met with utter silence. I'm like, unreal. That's crazy. 
Why would Jesus be absolutely silent? Sometimes the silence of God to a desperate cry can be deafening. And I'm sure we've all experienced that. When it feels like our prayers mean nothing. When it feels like they're falling on deaf ears. When we're met with silence. And yet, mothers, what I see from just observations, is mothers are some of the most resilient people in the world. Mothers are some of the most persistent people, especially when it comes to their children. A godly mother will never give up on her child. But why the silence? Why does, some, why does God, Jesus respond to her in silence? Why does he sometimes respond to us with silence? Is Jesus just ignoring her? Does he not hear? Does he not care? No, Jesus cares, so why the silence? And there's different, different things that you can draw from it or surmise. But perhaps one of the reasons, and this is, I find, found this interesting as I, as I studied this. Perhaps one of the reasons that Jesus is silent is because of what she is crying out. She pleads out, she cries out for mercy, and she declares that, she calls him Lord and the Son of David. She is declaring by her words his divinity. And I believe in her persistent crying out on and on and on, she is declaring to the world and to everyone who's listening that this is the Messiah. This is Jesus. Perhaps it was to test her faith. Sometimes those cries for mercy, I don't know how long she kept crying out to Jesus, but it was a long time. It wasn't, I don't think it was five minutes or ten minutes. I think it was a long time to the point where the disciples were utterly annoyed with her. They, they were driving, she was driving him crazy. But sometimes those cries for mercy can go on for months and even years. So how do you persist when there's silence? I can't help believe, but believe that this mother saw something in Jesus' eyes, a compassion that she knew that he would not turn her away. She saw something in Jesus. She believed in his ability and his willingness to help. Now now catch this. The measure of our faith is conditioned by what we see in Jesus. When we see in Jesus his compassion and his love, we will know that he will never turn us away. And so we are persistent. Not only through silence, but also persistent through opposition. What, what, what would it do for you if you're crying out, you're praying with someone else for the life of your child, and the person beside you says, okay, God, just answer her prayer or tell her to shut up. She's driving us crazy. What, what, I wonder what that did to this woman when she heard the disciples say, I don't, I don't think they even cared if Jesus just rebuked her and sent her away or if they healed her. Either way, I think they're just simply saying, Send her away. She's driving us crazy. And it's like her, she is so laser-focused in her intercession that she completely blocks it out. She completely ignores it. And she pushes straight through it. 
But I want you to notice, too, that when Jesus does respond in verse 24, the first time Jesus actually speaks, he responds to his disciples and not to the woman. It's like he's, he says to his disciples that I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I think he was speaking to his disciples, but perhaps referring to her as well. And still, she persists. So great faith intercedes, and it is persistent. And the last one that I want to to point out is I believe that great faith is characterized by humility. And this woman shows great, great humility. Humility provides the fertile soil wherein Great faith can grow, and where it does grow. I'm going to jump down one verse, verse, down in verse 25. She came and she knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Probably three of the most difficult words for some of us to say, but probably three of the most powerful words someone can say. But notice her posture. I think her posture is indicative of her heart's posture. This mother's desperate feeling of helplessness, but her confidence in Jesus' ability to meet her needs are obvious in her posture and in her words. She is kneeling before him, an attitude of a humble servant. The word that's used for kneeling is actually the word that means she bowed down and she actually worshipped. She was worshipping Jesus in spite of being met with silence, in spite of being met with opposition. She comes and she kneels in worship. Out of, out of recognition of Christ's divine authority as the King of Israel, this woman bows before Jesus in worship. And so again, by her words, but also her posture, she is proclaiming Jesus to the disciples and to anyone else who might be there that this is the Messiah. But one of the most powerful prayers that a person can ever pray are the prayers that this woman prayed. Sometimes it's hard to know what to pray, but her prayer was simply, Lord, help me. That's it. Nothing else. Just, Lord, help me. The utterance of those three words leave no room for any amount of feelings of self-sufficiency or pride. And it's probably some of the hardest words especially for maybe for men, to speak. But her cry is simply, Lord, help me. Beautiful words to the ears of God, to the God who is listening. But see, great faith in that humility does not have any, allow for any room for self. Perhaps the purpose of testing our faith is to reveal what's in our hearts. Think about this. Had there been any amount of pride or her coming to Jesus on the basis of her merit or who she was or her feeling like she deserves something from Jesus, I think Jesus' words, his silence and his words would have been incredibly offensive to her and she would have probably up and walked away. Think about what Jesus said in verse 26 then to her when she cried out, Lord, help me. And this is, seems really weird. He said that Jesus said, it's not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. Now, is Jesus calling her a dog? What, what is Jesus trying 
to say. It's an animal that was considered unclean to a Jew. But the word that's used describes a puppy as someone or someone who has a puppy like as a pet. And this is something that this mother could actually relate to in her culture as having probably having a dog or a puppy as a pet. It's an image from her world that she could relate to. And something in her clicks with what Jesus just says about the crumbs that fall from the table and her response is Jesus to Jesus is even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Her faith believes that the leftover crumbs from Jesus are sufficient. So think about that. She's asking for what she knows she doesn't deserve. And and I'm blown away by Jesus' response. She says, Oh woman, that's actually the same word, the same word that Jesus used when he talks about his own mother in John 2 as an example. He uses the word, oh mother. It's, It's a term of endearment that Jesus is speaking to her. I think Jesus is absolutely blown away and wowed by the faith of this woman. Verse 26 says, O woman, great is your faith. So her faith is great. And you see that her request is granted. Her daughter is healed. That's kind of off to the side. It's kind of off stage. It's not even the front and center. It's not the point of the text, not the miracle of her daughter being healed. Perhaps the real miracle is the persistent faith of a woman who has nothing to come to Jesus with on her own, but only comes to Jesus on the basis of mercy. You see, the crumbs that fall from Jesus' table are the crumbs of grace that you and I so desperately need. Pride demands, but humility pleads. Pride says, you owe it to me. Humility says, you don't owe me anything but it pleads for just a crumb of grace from Jesus' table. And so for each of you, especially you mothers, I see, I think I've said it before, but I see you moms living out this kind of faith consistently and persistently. And I want to bless you got moms for it because with all the pressures that you feel, that you probably put more pressure on yourself that anyone else puts on you. And you feel if you wonder if you make any difference. And even if no one sitting beside you or across the room sees or notices what you're doing and the difference you make, rest assured that Jesus sees it. He notices it. And he's amazed and I think he's wowed at your faith. And he says, great is your faith as you intercede, as you pers- are persistent in your intercession for your children for the people in your, in your lives, in your influence, but also with the humility that we come to Jesus with. Not based on our own merit, not based on anything that I can bring, but only on the, the case of mercy. And those crumbs of grace, I, I read this quote somewhere, that you will find that great faith turns crumbs of grace into truckloads of grace. So bless you guys, you moms, especially today. You guys are worth celebrating. I hope you feel 
honored. I hope you feel treasured today. Not just today, but every day, because you're, you're worth it. But take heart. Jesus sees what you do in private, in person, when no one else sees it, and he's honored by that. So, thanks for your attention. I invite you to stand. We'll close um, with this missile prayer. God, thank you this morning for each of the moms that are here today. Um, I thank for each, each woman, each lady that is here. God, thank you for what you have placed into the hearts of each of the women that are here, each of the women that are influential in our lives. God, you've placed something unique in their hearts that is a reflection of your own heart. And God, bless our mothers, bless our la- the ladies here for that, how they portray that, not only to each one of us as we, in, in our own families, in our own church, but in, as they portray that to the world around us. And I pray, God, that we would all learn, that we would grow in our faith in you, and that we would, um, in our humility, that we would come to you, and that you would grow our faith, like you did in the, in the life of this Canaanite mother, as she in, or interceded, and was persistent in her cry for mercy for her daughter. Bless us as we go from here today. Bless us and help us have a great week together as we do our separate things, as we go throughout our work week. Um, and as we, even as we read now this next week through the Gospel of Mark together, um, as a church, as, as we read through that together, that you would um, instill something new about the life of Jesus in each one of us as we read through the Gospel of Mark this week. Dismiss us with your blessing today. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.